Let's pray. Lord, again, uh, we come before you, Lord, to, again, in honor and in glory and in worship, Lord. This time, Lord, I just pray as we open up your word and study and just get into it, reveal to us what it is that you want to show us, Lord. I know that you have something for each and every one of us individually, Lord, and as a group and as a, as a church that's starting out, Lord. Lord, we, we give this time again to you, Lord, and, and ask that you just touch us, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts to see your truth, to see those things that we just are blinded to, Lord. Remove our pride. Remove our selfishness, Lord. Remove all those things that are keeping us from understanding you and hearing you and loving you, Lord, unconditionally, Lord. We want to love you in this way because you just love us. You also you just love us unconditionally, God. Lord, speak to us right now, Lord. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. All right, so if you guys weren't here last week, um, we talked, we got into, we were in chapter 1. We talked about verses, we went through verses 9 through 15. And within there, we got into the baptism of Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, we saw God confirming to the world that Jesus was his beloved son. We also got into the, uh, read about and studied the temptation in the desert. And we saw how God was confirming that even the devil and his bag of tricks, a bag of lies, can't stand, doesn't stand a chance against Jesus. And the last thing we looked at last week was the beginning of his ministry. God confirming through Jesus that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. We saw Jesus also saying during that time, repent and believe in the good news. And we saw that he is the good news, that Jesus is the only good news. He alone has the answers, and he alone can, has given us life through his resurrection. Again, he died for us, and, and his life, this three and a half years of ministry that, that he lived and was all for us, was all to talk, to teach us about who God is, to show us who God is, to show us the love of God. Now, as we begin this week, there's a few things, a couple of things we're going to be looking at. And again, these stories in Mark are quick and they're rapid. They're almost, they are almost like a machine gun, you know, they just go quick, rapid fire. What we're going to be looking at this week is how Jesus picked out his disciples you will see that he calls people just as they are to follow him. And the other story we're going to be looking at is Jesus, Jesus inside the um, inside a synagogue in Capernaum, and the authority that he shows and the wisdom and knowledge that he has. And you'll see again, see how his authority is displayed for everyone to see. So, turn your Bibles right now to Mark chapter one, and we're going to be starting in verse sixteen. So. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 16. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As he was passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now we're given a picture of, and this is, and this is again what I imagine in my head. Jesus taking this leisurely stroll along the Sea of Galilee. Now I'm going to show you a quick map here. I'm the kind of person that, that is a visual learner. I need to know exactly what's going on, where they're at. And I hope this, let's see if this works. Um, we have a map here of the region he was in. This is the region of Galilee here. All right, now we know that Jesus came out of Nazareth there. And then we're told here in, these, in this passage as he was passing along the Sea of Galilee. Now, again, I believe that he was taking, we, were, we're told, we, were, we, see, we saw last week that he went out through the region of Galilee to preach the good news of God. That the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is coming here. Repent and believe the good news. What we see next is that he's along this region here. I believe he's, he's along this region, along the, along the north, well, I'm sorry, the west area of, of the Sea of Galilee. And what he's doing there is what I believe that he's so accustomed to doing every day, every moment as he's walking along. He is just praying spending time in meditation with the Lord. But we also see him doing something interesting here. As he's walking along the shore, he sees these fishermen. He sees his fishermen just doing their jobs. And we're not told that there was a bunch of them. We're not told that there was... But there was... There were fishermen there. And they were just minding their own business and working. And he's looking at them and just, you know, looking at them do their jobs. Then all of a sudden, his focus and attention toward, turns towards these two guys. Now, to a normal observer, these two guys were just another set of fishermen casting their fishing, net, fishing nets in and around their boats. However, we know that Jesus just wasn't your typical normal observer. He saw something in these two guys. There was something interesting something unique that he saw with these two guys. There was something different about the way they were casting their nets that made Jesus pay attention to what, to what and how they were doing it. It may have been the effort and the dedication that they were putting into their work, but something made Jesus stop and talk to them. In Luke chapter 5, if you want to get into the full story, you'll see it in Luke chapter 5. We're given, you're given the details about this encounter. But what we have here with, with this account, with Mark, is that he just wants to hear and understand the effect Jesus had on others. Now, as Jesus calls out to these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, he tells them, come follow me, and I will make you fish for people. In other, in other translations, you will hear him say, he'll say, um, I will make you fishers of men. 
Now, when they heard these words, they immediately dropped everything. They left everything behind. They left everything they knew about life and how to make a living and follow Jesus. Now, there's something interesting again about this, about this, uh, these two individuals, Simon and Andrew. Now, later on, we'll be reading and looking into Simon. He eventually, Jesus ended up renaming him Peter. But it wasn't until later that we begin to see Simon and P- Simon and Andrew casting their spiritual nets for Jesus. They both had a strong and effective evangelistic ministry. Andrew repeatedly repeatedly brought people to Jesus. And if you remember in Acts, Peter preached a sermon, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, we saw that 3,000 people were saved. The Holy Spirit dropped and just fell among those men that were in that, in that upper room. And the world was never the same. 3,000 people were saved. So yes, They were fishermen. God did use them to be fishers of men. Now again, later on in the verse here, in verse 18, 19, it says that Jesus went a little bit further, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Again, there was something about how they were fixing, these these two men, these two brothers, weren't mending, or I'm sorry, weren't casting their nets, but rather they were mending their their nets, or fixing them. It was something, again, about how they were fixing their nets. It was something about how they were involved in, it, in that and how they were doing that that gave Jesus a reason to, to ask them to follow him. Now, again, with them, an interesting note is that later on, after Jesus had ascended into, into heaven, the ministry of James and John was that of mending people through their emphasis of both heartfelt and the practical nature of love. Now, there was also another noticeable difference between the calling of James and John and what happens afterwards. In verse 20, it says that they left their father Zebedee in their boat with the hired men. The fact that they had hired men means they were pretty well off. They were pretty wealthy individuals. There was a wealthy family. Now, when Jesus called out to them to follow, to follow him, they could have easily said, no, 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 thanks. We're, we're good. We're comfortable. They could have said we're comfortable with what we're doing. We're financially set. Why would we go follow you? I mean, they, they, they had it. They had the boats. They had a hired man. I mean, they could have lived their entire lives comfortably, financially comfortably. You know, they had this, this business, and they would, have been, they would have been set. But what do we see They did the opposite. They said yes to Jesus and put their faith in the man they had just met. Now, the other uh, other thing I want you to notice is that James and John were also able to fix or mend a problem before it even started. And this is the problem with the business, their father's father's business. These hired men men that they had were trained and trusted to help their father in, in their absence. They left their father and their business in capable hands. And they said, they told these men, here you go. Take care of our father. Take care of the business. So like Simon and Andrew, James and John also had the discernment to know that the man that, had just, that they had just called to them 
was like no other person they ever met. They looked at Jesus and they said, wow. I mean, it would take a lot of, it would take a lot of guts, I think, to just have this man you've never met come up to you, tell you to follow him, and then just do it. I don't know if it's guts, but, but they saw something in him. They saw something in Jesus that said, yes, we're going to follow you. We're going to leave our life behind. We're going to leave it all behind us and follow you. And man, I, I, just, I, I can only imagine, again, just uh, how it touched Jesus. Again, he wasn't, he wasn't pushing them. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't like doing anything to, to say, hey, follow me now. He just simply said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you, fishers of pe- I will make you fish for people. Now imagine for a minute if that happened to you. Imagine for a minute wherever you're at, whether at work or at school or wherever you may be, someone just comes up to you and says, come and follow me. Imagine again, you're just in the middle of doing what you're doing, whether it's pushing out those numbers, pushing out those customers, pushing out those patients. You're just working your butt off. And this individual, this person comes up to you and says, follow me. Or imagine, again, working on a project. I think all of us have projects, and you're just trying to fix this problem that maybe somebody else caused. And you're just working intently on it. You're concentrated on it, and you're just like, like, like we saw James and John. They're mending these, fence, these, these nets because they want to get the business going. It may, what might have happened is that you know, these, these nets were torn, they were broken, and in order for the business to keep going and surviving, they had to quickly fix these, these nets. And all of a sudden, again, a man comes up to you and, asks, and tells you, asks you, come and follow me. This man who you didn't even know, again, says, follow me. What would you do? What would you do? When Jesus calls these two set of brothers to follow him, it wasn't a demand or a threat. He didn't say, follow me right now. Or he didn't say, follow me or else. Jesus gave them an invitation. It was a simple invitation. It was completely up to them to choose whether or not to accept that invitation. Now, if he hasn't done so already, there will come a time when that invitation is going to be extended to you. There's going to be a, come a time where he's going to say to each and every one of you, come and follow me. How will you respond to that again? How would you, would you make an excuse? Or would you be like, no, I'm too popular, I'm too good, I'm too, um, I got too much, too much stuff going on in my life. I need to take care of this first. And we see, you know, how other people were given that same invitation in the Bible that simply said, yeah, I, got, I got other stuff I got to do. I need to take care of this or I need to take care of that. But when he does extend that invitation to you, what are you going to do about it? Now, it may come at a time when you least expect it. It may come at a time when you're just, not, you're just again, minding your own business and doing your thing and, and all of a sudden, someone comes along, or you hear a message, and Jesus says, come and follow me. Things may be going horribly good, I mean horribly wrong, or wonderfully good in your life. 
regardless of where life has you, what, what you may be doing, Jesus will offer that invitation to you. You see, he sees you even before you ever see him. He's standing at the shoreline of your life, and he's looking at you, and he's watching you. And he's intently just looking at, at, at what a wonderful person you are. See, the eyes of Jesus are different than our own eyes. He's looking at your potential. He sees something what other people probably don't see. He sees how you can be used to bring others to Christ, to bring others into the glory of God. He does. He notices every detail of everything you do and sees the potential in in you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His creation, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Now again, others may not see this potential. Others may not see what God sees in you. But I think that's what matters the most. That's what ought to matter the most, is what God sees in you. Now listen to what Peter had to say about the potential God sees in you. And this is later on, again, once, once Jesus went up to heaven. This is Peter, this is Simon, who, had just, who he had just called. Later on he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I absolutely believe that God has a plan and purpose for each person Jesus calls to follow him. His desire is to use the talents and abilities you were born with and juxtapose it with the spiritual gifts he has in store for you in order to be used as an instrument to bring others into the knowledge of truth that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. However, again, as I mentioned, he, will, he won't force you. He's not going to take you by the throat and say, come follow me now or else. It's a free invitation that he offers you. And let me tell you this, if you choose to heed the call and follow him, the life you left behind and any hardships you may face thereafter are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to you. Now with the time I have remaining, I want to share with you one more story. So here we, got, here we have Simon, Andrew, James, John, and Jesus. And they entered Capernaum. And again, I'm going to refer back to the map here. They entered the small city. They entered a small city in the northwest in the northwest region of the Sea of Galilee. So again, we believe that Jesus is, is preaching. He finds Andrew, well, these fishermen, these two sets of brothers, along this area here. And what they decide to do next is go into Capernaum. Now, as they enter that city, there's a Jewish synagogue in there. They enter the synagogue, and Jesus is given the opportunity to teach. Now, what happens here, let me explain just a little bit. You have the holy, the holy temple, and that's where, that's where you have your main priests, your, your, 
all the bigwigs up there in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. However, in these small, a lot of these small towns, they have these small houses of worship called synagogues. And in there, there was a person in charge. There's an elder, or what you would call a, a, an overseer. And, this, and what happens is that when someone comes along, and I guess you can say that they ask to teach, they're given that opportunity. Now again, the synagogue is a place where Jews met for prayer, worship, and teaching. In other words, they went to church and Jesus began to teach them. Now we're told that as Jesus was teaching, everyone listening was completely astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. The manner and method in which Jesus was teaching displayed to the listeners that Jesus absolutely knew and understood the material he was talking about. For them, this was a new and fresh teaching. <clears throat> Again, imagine, I, and, I, and I hope this, this doesn't, never occurs, but imagine just sitting in church every Sunday and getting nothing out of it. See, that the scribes, these teachers, were used to teaching from authority. All they were doing was quoting these other famous rabbis that were just reading and, and they, you know, they had all these books, all this material, and all they were doing was, was regurgitating the same stuff. But when Jesus came along, he was teaching them the scriptures and teaching them with authority. He, Jesus absolutely understood and knew what he was talking about as he was teaching them. This was a fresh, again, and different than what they were used to. The scribes and teachers had grown accustomed to hearing and were failing, were, were accustomed to just reading and, again, regurgitating the material. But they were falling short on feeding the people and really helping them understand the scriptures and showing them the love of God, the grace of God. Now, if this was the case, we're left to conclude that those who were leading church didn't, didn't know or didn't feel comfortable with the, what, they were, what they were teaching them, with the material, with the Word of God. They just didn't know how to, to teach them. So when Jesus came along and started just showing them and teaching them with this authority to the, to the audience, to the people that were sitting there, even to the scribes, they're like, wow, we've never seen this kind of teaching before. This is different. This is new. And it really astonished them. Now, if the teaching with authority wasn't enough, what happens next really rocked everyone's perspective of Jesus. Well, let me, let me, read, the, let me read the verse there. Let me read the passage. Then they went to Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because, unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. Verse 23, Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue and cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked them and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. So again, if it wasn't, if the teaching with authority wasn't enough, what happens next just blew everyone's mind there. He's there. This is probably after he was done teaching. And all of a sudden, this evil spirit just starts to scream and yell. Now, it's not a far-fetched possibility that this man had probably been attending the synagogue for a very long time. He probably was just sitting there for probably years, sitting and listening just to these scribes and teachers teaching from authority. But now that Jesus comes, and now that he's teaching with authority, this evil spirit, this person there, possessed by this evil spirit, just this, this evil spirit can't stand it anymore. See, well, you know, I, I could also imagine that this, whatever was, whoever this person was and whatever evil spirit was, was in him was causing division, was causing problems, was causing issues in and among the church, maybe within the community as well. So again, it's not a far-fetched possibility that he was attending this church for a while, the synagogue for a while. Well, anyways, he cries out with a loud scream, and he says, and this is the way, I, the, in the original language, this was one of those deep, down screeching noises that comes from the back of your throat. It's like a really, like, blood-curling scream. And he tells Jesus, What do you have to do with us, Jesus, Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I absolutely love the way Jesus responded to this. I, I, I trip out on this. As I was studying, I'm like, you know, how did, like, he didn't, even, he didn't even answer this demon's question. He didn't even sit there and just, like, try to talk to this demon and try to, or this evil spirit to figure out what's, who he was or what's going on. What did he tell him? He told him to shut your mouth and then kick them out of the place where he had no business being in in the first place. Again, that is just an amazing picture to see, to imagine. Jesus is having, I can, again, I can picture him having this conversation with, with his group, with maybe Andrew, Simon, um, James, John, or you know, some of the other people that were sitting there. And all of a sudden, this evil spirit just screams at him, tells him this stuff. And Jesus just turns with the, like a boss, like with the authority that he has, and says, shut your mouth and get out of here. Oh, man, again, what a, what, a, what a picture to see. This evil spirit clearly knew who was boss, who was in control, who was the authority here. And the only thing he can do is throw a violent fit. We see that this violent fit In this violent fit, the unclean spirit convulsed the man 
and shouted with a loud voice, and it came out of him. Now, this violent fit, I, it's, I would kind of describe it as, as, you know, when you tell your kid something that he doesn't want to hear, or he doesn't want to, you know, he just doesn't want to listen to you, and instead of, the only thing he can do is throw himself on the floor and throw a fit. I know from experience because, it's, because I've seen it. I've seen it with my, all my kids. You know, we've told them something, they don't like it. You know, this is when they're, they don't do it now. But, you know, they told them something they don't like, and yeah, we've seen this kind of fit. But this was an evil spirit. And, man, he really did a number on this guy. But in the end, he complied and came out of the man he was in. This demon complied because he knew who was in authority. Now, everybody there that was witness that was a witness to this scene, they were tripping hard. I mean, they were just like, "What? What is this?" Not only does this person Jesus teach with authority, but now the demons even obey him. I mean, even what does it say there? What is this new teaching and authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They began to argue with one another because they couldn't make sense of it. They couldn't make sense of what was going on, what they had, they had just witnessed. Well, not just the way Jesus taught, but with how he commanded the whole incident with this evil spirit. Now, verse 28 tells us that what happened in that synagogue spread like wildfire. It just spread throughout the whole region. The name of Jesus started being proclaimed and what he was doing. When Jesus is present in the church, the word of God is faithfully handled and taught. The demonic spirit world can't stand a chance, doesn't stand a chance against them. It's important, therefore, it's important to be somewhere where the Word of God is being taught. There's a lot of churches out there that will just preach a lot of fluff and will just put on a good show and just make you feel good. But that's not what it's all about. Jesus spoke the truth, and we all know that sometimes when the truth is spoken, it hurts. It's not easy. But when the, again, when the Word of God is taught, Faithfully, and when it's taught right, man, in the spiritual world, those evil spirits are just shaking and trembling and quaking in their boots. They're absolutely terrified. They absolutely can't stand it. They're terrified because they know what God is going to do to them and what will eventually be their outcome. Do you, know what their, do you know what their outcome is going to be? Do you know what these evil spirits, do you know what the devil, what his outcome is going to be? Revelation tells us that he's going to be thrown in a pit of fire. Never to be seen again. They're so terrified of that that they want to bring as many people as, as possible with him. He wants to bring people down with him into the pit. So he's out there lying, deceiving, making people think 
These spirits are making people think lies. Again, the question is, are you going to believe these lies? These, the truth that Jesus teaches, teaches us, it's difficult sometimes, and it hurts. But it's all for that inner healing. He wants to heal you. Again, these demons, they want to destroy. And I think we've seen that in our lives already. I think we've seen already lives that have been destroyed, lives that have been destroyed because of the lies of the devil. So many people I know that had so much going on for them decided, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live, you know, the, they, they started listening to these voices that things are going to be better if I just do this. My life is going to be better if I just do that. Rather than listening to the truth about just following God. And, and it's sad. Because again, you see people that have so much potential, so much going on for them that they're like, you know, and then they fall away and then decide to, to listen to these lies and, and now their lives are a complete mess. But how God, you know, the amazing thing about God is that he hasn't given up on them. Every moment, every day that God gives you, every moment that God gives breath to a person, he's giving them the opportunity to come back. Come back into his loving arms. And you may have you may have followed Jesus at a time, or you may have completely just been tight with God, with Jesus. But slowly but surely maybe you walked away. He's not done with you. He's going to keep calling you. This calling isn't a one-time calling. He's going to keep pursuing you every single day of your life. While you still have breath, while you still have breath in your lungs, he's going to keep calling you. And one day, you know, either you're going to accept it, you're going to accept him to follow him, or one day the end's going to come and you're going to meet God face to face. And he's going to be, you're not going to have any excuses. There's going to be no excuses before God. So what happened in this church in Capernaum helps us understand a few things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus has the authority over the word of God because he is the word of God. It says in 1 John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. Later on in verse 14 of that same chapter, John writes, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now listen carefully to what Jesus says in John 12, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father Himself who sent me has given, has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. I know that His command is eternal life, so the things I speak, 
I speak just as the Father has told me. In whatever way or manner Jesus speaks or teaches you, know that what he's saying to you is said with authority and is said with truth. The second thing I want you to notice is Jesus has command and authority over everything in both the physical and spiritual world. Again, this is Jesus speaking. All authority has been given to me in, in heaven and on earth. You can, and that's in Matthew 28, 18. You can find comfort and peace in knowing that there's nothing at all. There's nothing, there's nothing at all that, this, that could be thrown at you that Jesus can't handle. This is what the Lord says about those who love Him. I found this in Psalm 91. And, and again, listen carefully. This is what the Lord says about those who love Him. Because He, He's talking about us, He is lovingly devoted to me. I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls out to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and give Him honor. And that's in Psalm 91, verse 14 and 15. Now this last thing this passage tells us is when the evidence of Jesus' authority is apparent, there will be some who will be unable to make sense of it. Even in your own lives. Even in your own lives. When God is working, when, he's, when they see the, His work, God's work in your life, you're going to have some people who are like, What's going on? What's happening? What happened to you? We don't understand what's going on. They're not going to make sense. They're just, they're, it's going to confuse them because, first of all, they have these spiritual blinders on and they, just, they don't understand because the Holy Spirit hasn't touched them. Now, the only way you can make sense of this all is, anybody can make sense of this all, is through the Holy Spirit. In the outside world, we're just a bunch of lunatics. We're just a bunch of Jesus freaks. We're just a bunch of you know, maniacs that go out there and, and we're just ignorant and dumb. But we know the truth. Again, I'm not speaking out of, uh, out of ignorance. The Holy Spirit confirms these things in my life. The Holy Spirit confirms this by reading God's Word. Again, people aren't going to make sense of it. People aren't going to understand it. Now again, I, as I conclude, as I finish up here, I want to ask you a simple question. What will you do when Jesus calls you to follow Him? Will you? Will you follow Him? Or will you make up more excuses? No, I've mentioned before, I made excuses for a very long time. Very long time. And it wasn't until I was at the end of my rope, it wasn't until I was at the bottom barrel of, of life that finally I said, okay, I'm done making excuses. Right now, Jesus may be standing in the shoreline of your life and saying, I'm telling you, come and follow me. Again, he may be looking at you, looking at your life, all the good, all the bad, and he's saying, come and follow me.
how will you respond? What is it that you will do with that? Yeah, we can come up with, the, again, excuses. And he's not going to be like, oh, why? No, he's just going to be like, all right, you know? He wants to, you have that freedom. He wants to give you that freedom to f choose to follow him. Are you willing to leave that old life behind? Are you willing to leave that old life behind and follow Jesus? Are you willing to surrender everything of your life to Jesus? Now, if you're unsure, if you're sitting here, or if you're listening and you're unsure whether or not to follow Jesus, if you're just not, you know, there's just too many questions going on in your mind, let me tell you that Jesus loves you, loves you so much that he, laid down his, that he laid down his life for you. So you, that you wouldn't have to suffer the punishment of sins. He died in order to forgive you of every wrong thing you have ever done. Now without Christ, yes, you will be held accountable in heaven for every sin you ever committed. Every sin you ever committed, God is going to hold you accountable to it. However, when the blood of Jesus covers you, when the blood of Jesus completely surrounds you, God no longer holds you, holds your sins against you. All your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future sins. His blood covers you. There's absolutely nothing you can do. There's absolutely no works. You know, it's every, all the work has been done for you. It's just a matter of trusting and having faith. Now, the, the only thing God requires is for you to repent of your sins. To, for you to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, again, I don't know where each and one, one of you are in your lives. I don't know what's going on. But, you know, if, if you haven't surrendered your life, if you haven't just completely given your life over and you want to find that forgiveness, you can ask Jesus into your heart and He will forgive you. Now if you say yes to follow the call of Jesus to, and to follow Him, my hope and prayer is that you will continue to pursue His righteousness and continually follow Him every day and every moment of your life. People will see the light in you, people will see the light of God shining in and through your life. And His authority will also be manifested through you as you go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, as you go out and proclaim the gospel. Again, He wants to use you in a mighty way. But you have to allow Him to use you. He's not going to use someone that's just stubborn not willing and open to it. Now, again, I, in a minute we're going to pray and actually we're going to start praying right now. And, and if you haven't, if you haven't surrendered your life, this is going to be a good opportunity. He may be again calling out to you, follow me. And what are you going to do? How are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Lord God, yes, you're an amazing and 
loving God, full of grace and mercy. Lord, there's just been so many times in our lives where you've asked us to follow you, Lord. And we have only to be scared and come short and just go back to our old lives, Lord. And for that, we're sorry. We want to follow you, Lord. We see that this life is nothing. And as we sang in worship earlier, Lord, this world can just have itself. I don't want it, Lord. I just, I want to follow you. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Reveal your love to me because I need it, Lord. Lord, it's hard, Lord. We all know it's challenging. But you have control, you have authority over everything. And we trust, we place our trust in you, Lord. That you will get us and see us through everything that comes our way. Any attack from the devil, any spiritual lie. We know that with you we'll be able to make it through, Lord. Now if you're listening or if you're here and you've never accepted the Lord into your life and and you want to, and you feel and you know that He's calling you. Today is a day. Don't let another day go by. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, just pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you for bringing Jesus down to die on the cross for my sins. And right now, I surrender my life to him. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I believe that you, that because of his blood, I am forgiven. I come before you right now just in humbleness. To thank you for what you've done. I ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may know you, so that I may see you and understand you more, Lord. Lord, fill me with your grace and love. Lord, we do. We ask you, God, to fill each and every one of us with your grace and love, Lord. All these horrific events that happened this week, Lord, we need it. 
so much sin, so much hurt, so much hate out there, Lord. And as the church right now, Lord, I ask that you give us that extra outpouring of love, Lord, so that we can show the world your love, so that the world can see through us your light and your grace and your mercy. Lord, give us an understanding heart, Lord. Lord, we do, we pray for all just the victims, the, the families, Lord, who are just hurting right now, who are just full of pain. Maybe some of them are full of anger, Lord. We, we do, we pray for them. Be with them during this time, Lord. It's so, it's so hurtful, Lord. Protect. We ask that you protect law enforcement out there that's trying to do their job, Lord, trying to protect the defenseless and trying to protect the innocent, Lord. Deal with the wicked, Lord. You will deal with them at your appropriate time. But just protect your people, Lord. Show us I know you're going to show us so many things, Lord. I believe it. Bless the rest of this day, Lord. Protect us as we make our way homes throughout this week. All the issues, all the stuff that's going to be coming our way, Lord. show us your way. We ask that we handle these situations according to your will, Lord, and that we accept it. Again, just bless this time we're about to have, Lord. This time of fellowship and just talking and just being together, Lord. Continue to be with us. And bless each and every person here. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.